0: Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. Today, my guest is Daniel Krause. I had Daniel on the show today to talk about uh, the latest George Romero film, The Amusement Park, as well as Daniel's collaboration with Romero on his last novel, The Living Dead. I hope you enjoy the show. Also want to thank Bookman's for sponsoring it and Fort Worth for letting us use the song at the end. Thank you so much for taking time to do this, man. I really
1: appreciate it. Sure, sure. I wasn't sure if this if I was supposed to be on video or audio, or but it l- looks oh, like video.
0: It, well, it's just going to be audio that I use okay. for it. But um, I tend to use video just so I can pick up on those nonverbal cues of complete disinterest or sure. um, anything like that, just so I know kind of help. Yeah, yeah. It makes along. sense. Absolutely. So, um, I I can't thank you enough for doing this because any time that I have the chance to spend a full week thinking about George Romero, I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah, me too. It's it, he's been one of those people that's been such a constant presence in my life. Um, really, it's I, I think of uh, the first time I was ever scared in a film was when I went to see the Goonies in 1985. Not because of the movie mm. itself, I was nine years old, and the trailer before it was for Day of the Dead. Um, oh, wow. it happened to be playing at the time, and it just destroyed me. I, I thought about that for years afterwards. So, wow, um. Until I finally got the nerve, and I was just wondering, what was your uh, first experience with George Romero? How did you become aware of his work?
1: Well, that was Night of the Living Dead when I was a little kid. I mean, this is basically my origin story. I mean, it's uh, my mom liked horror, and um, I saw Night of the Living Dead probably when I was five or six or something. You know, it's just one of the films I was always on. And you know, growing up, I always remember watching with her two things twilight zone episodes and night living dead those were sort of i mean back in the day of just a few channels those were sort of the horror that was always on and i think because it was something that we just did together i mean i had sisters and they weren't involved in any of this it became something that felt safe it wasn't a a super scary thing there were i mean i there were times where i got scared by um Twilight Zone episodes here and there, but you, almost more when I got older and could understand them better probably. But I, yeah, I, t- I totally grew up with Night of the Living Dead. Um, you know, Ben, the, the, the main character of Night of the Dead was, was my hero really. And uh, of course I wouldn't really, you know, as you, when you're a kid, you don't really attach art to the creator so much. So I didn't, I didn't think about there being a director really, but, um, As I got older, certainly I did, and then as I, you know, it was years before I would start to see other movies that that George had made, but um, they continued to inform my growth as a person, um, and then ultimately really guided me as uh, an artist.
0: Well, it's kind of the, to me, horror films were the first high-minded art that I ever absorbed where there was more going on than I necessarily realized at first, where um, the things that got me in the door, because I'm a kid of the 80s, I'm 45, so it was these really bad slasher films uh, for the most part. And once I built up the tolerance to that and started digging a little bit deeper and finding these other horror films, these movies that were clearly about so much more than just Mm -hmm. the gore, and it's almost like that's the thing that gets you in the door, but then you end up thinking about these much deeper and more... You know important issues, and I think George Romero was clearly the master of that. And sometimes it was inadvertent, where he didn't even mean to do that with the character of Ben, apparently. In Night of Living Dead, yeah. that well thought story. But I mean, it's impossible to ignore the social commentary that was put upon it afterwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Romero and Serling were both you know, masters of metaphor and making art for, that was socially conscious in some way. Uh, so I feel real lucky that those were the two artists that I glommed on to. I mean, I could have been, you know, I really could have gotten to anything. I could have gotten into He-Man or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things <laughs> that I could have chosen instead. And I feel fortunate that I chose these two guys who were um, always doing something intellectual at uh, another level so that. Once you could begin to clue into that kind of thing, um, it was there waiting for you.
0: So uh, just because the shirt and I can't stop, you know, just in my mind, I, whenever I see creep show, the image that there's probably two images that stand out the most, but the thing in my mind right now is probably Ed Harris dancing more than anything else. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. what is the, the image from that or something that what's the thing that you gleam onto more than anything for creep show?
1: Well, after, after night living dead, my, most formative Romero movie was Creepshow. That's the one that, you know, I probably next became aware of as a Romero movie. Uh, It was, I saw it on HBO at her friend's house. Mm -hmm. And my favorite segment of that, I don't know why, because it really doesn't have anything to do with a rational adult judgment. This stuff is so plugged into things that I liked as a kid. Uh, uh, But I've always liked the first segment, Father's Day. So I think the- um, I think the head on the platter is a, is a big image (laughs) in my, in uh, like artistic and uh, emotional history. (laughs) Well, it was the,
0: uh, the Stephen King connection, which those two, those were pillars of my childhood. And the thing that got me into reading Stephen King and his little role in that, where I think it's probably the best that he was ever cast in a film. Um, It was Mm -hmm. the best use of his abilities um, for that particular one. And and just those and not really kind of like you, not understanding or knowing the full depth of that, uh, that relationship and their work and just kind of these things that came through HBO, through Friends. And then you start putting this whole picture together later on and you start seeing this larger body of work um, and how they all related to each other. And it was something that I, for me, I, I I feel like the one that I really connected to the most when I was younger was probably Day of the Dead was the one that I was attracted, that I went back and revisited the most and it was really because of the quiet moments. It was all the human stuff in between. And I think that of all those early ones, that was the one that spent the most time mm-hmm. um, just in the, the, it would build up this, almost like this crescendo in a way and it would take a long time to build up and I really appreciated yeah. that. Well, it was there, I mean, Night of the Living Dead had that comfort food feeling to your safe space. Um, once you were looking beyond that one, was there uh, a particular of the dead film that you
1: would go yeah, back it's, to? it's Day of the Dead for me too. Um, okay. I, I don't I always sort of when someone asks me my favorite of his zombie films I have to kind of set aside Night because it's so it's so formative that I it's almost like an album that I grew up listening to I can't really separate myself from the, the emotions connected to it so if that film is off the table my favorite um, is Day of the Dead definitely uh, it's I've always liked it I mean I remember the first time I glimpsed it was um, again at a friend's house on halloween i think we were getting ready to go out trick-or-treating and uh there was something just playing on the tv and it was this scene with Bub and the razor and he mm-hmm. shaved yeah. and i was just transfixed like what is this like I, I understand this is a horror figure but it's doing something sort of tender and it made me feel weird and <laughs> uh it, it, it again it was a time before i even knew what that movie was that was on tv um but yeah that's the one i uh, i would turn to that one all the time i really love it I, I think it's great
0: and i think that um people that have a problem with the later ones um with survival and diary they uh, I feel like people that were really connected to Day of the Dead, they saw that evolution and it made sense. Where mm-hmm. the finding the humanity and the zombies, and it seems like there was pushback against that uh for people where the stories they didn't really do it. But I think people that were where their go-to was Day of the Dead, it felt like a yeah. natural evolution. It felt the 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 connection is actually much shorter between those, I would say, than something like night is to Dawn.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great observation. I think there's Dawn, there's something about Dawn that attracts a really broad range of people. And then day is sort of a filter that filters out uh, the people who l- sort of liked Don for the thrills and chills, but aren't as connected to really the, the Romero DNA in it so much. You know, if you love dead and chances are, you're, you're really gonna love almost everything Romero did. Whereas if you like Don, you may or may not care for any of Romero's other films.
0: Do you do you think that that's the um, I, that's probably the widest one? It goes the broadest of any of them. It, I, I mean, they're all. I guess maybe it's just my cynical nature, but probably day and night of living dead are the most cynical in their endings. But dawn mm-hmm. almost feels a little bit hopeful to some degree. Oh like yeah, day has a pretty hopeful ending as well. But
1: yeah, I, I agree with that. I think. Um, yeah, I think day and night are very cynical films. Um, and I don't know that any of his other zombie films really are, I guess diaries a bit cynical, um, but yeah, those, those are the, I think the toughest ones, the ones that don't make you feel good at the end. And I think generally it's interesting that we're, you know, speaking of, you know, I know we're going to talk about the amusement park. I, I think that, uh, Romero was rarely out to scare you as a first, his his first um, purpose. I think no. rarely was that his the main thing on his mind. I think it was the case in *I Live in Dead*. I think it was the case in *The Amusement Park*. Um, and I think th- that's the end of the list. I think uh, he was up to other things in his other films that, and they sort of were done through the genre of horror. But uh, he had he had other aims, I think, in other films.
0: Well, absolutely. And the amusement park is, I actually, I really did not want to watch it at all. (laughs) I I loved the idea that there was this film of his that would always be something that I hadn't seen that I could hold off on. And it's just, it's the kind of like I haven't watched the Christmas episode of the original office yet, because I always want there to be one more that I haven't gotten to. It's just something that can sit on the shelf and it's okay. Eventually I'll get around to this. And I love this idea that there was a Romero that I had and I'm, glad that I didn't stick to that. And actually sat down and watched this film because it's such a weird story of how this thing got made. So I'm just glad that it existed, that there was this bizarre um, confluence of events that led to this religious organization funding this film about the elderly and elder abuse. But then the movie they got back could not have been anything close to what they were expecting. And it's one of this is top tier Romero as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the, and I'm sorry I was so focused on the dead stuff. I've just been spent the last week going through your book again. So I've just had that all in the mind, but then um, coming to the end of your book and the amusement park and the way that these two tie together, they really, and this is just the confluence events where this really, they do work as companion pieces.
1: I think. Yeah, Well, that was the big, that was why I sought it out is that I when working on, the novel with Romero, The Living Dead, um, I knew I had, I had a, uh, there was a lot, there was some of the third act that was already planned, and kind of plugged into place by George. But there was a lot of this third act that wasn't. And I had this notion about the third act and how it was going to have something to do with old age and sort of ideas of kind of hospice care and things like that. Um, and I was aware that the amusement park existed or had existed at some point. So I really wanted to find it if possible. I didn't think it was possible so that I could have more input from George on how he thought about these issues about old age. Cause I thought, wow, this, this is, he actually made a whole movie about this. It would be great to, to be able to see it. Um, and it's been, it's been misreported that I discovered the amusement park. That's not true at all. Um, I went looking for it and and visited Suze, his wife in Toronto, and said, look, um, is there anything I, we can do to try to find this? And she was like, oh, yeah, we recently found it. <laughs> um, so and then she gave it to me to watch. And then I started talking about it sort of publicly. And I was the first person in you know 40 years to start talking about it. So discovering it sort of got attributed to me when really I was just the first person to, to see it in decades and start uh kind of hyping people up about it um but it was it was one it's, it blew me away really uh i think it is top tier stuff it's and it's right in that really fascinating time where he was making um the crazies and you know when he was really at his most i think avant-garde stage you know oh,
0: yeah. like uh was season of the witch and mm-hmm. it's just there yeah yeah the style of this the the film stock that's being, even though he was, he wasn't shooting four by three on those other films, it feels very like it could, it, this is the movie that should have been on that arrow box set with uh between oh, yeah. night and day. This totally. should have been right in the middle of those two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, You know, starting right after night, like I, I think he had always seen himself as a, an art house director and then maybe even an experimental filmmaker. So the night came out and that was in a totally different direction so then he, you know, he made There's Always Vanilla, which has, you know, uh some pretty bizarre editing techniques going on. And then some of Season of the Witch, particularly the beginning, um, uses some of that. And the crazies, of course, is edited like a machine gun. It's very <laughs> peculiar. Um, if he if he was a if he was a visionary in any sort of formal way, and generally, I don't think he was. I think his I his his um geniuses were um in the ideas that he was presenting, you know, you don't think of Romero as, a, as a amazing, like s- someone whose films had an incredible cinematography. It's not, that's not really what comes yeah. to mind, but he was a, he was a pretty bold editor and the amusement park falls solidly into that period where he was editing the hell out of his pictures and really creating this disorienting effect. And I, and I think disorienting is the, the, the perfect word for amusement park. We just, it's, It's almost thematic you almost feel like you're on some sort of amusement park ride you feel a little sick watching it
0: today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by bookman's i was really excited the last time i went to bookman's because i saw a copy of david cronenberg's naked lunch and if you're not familiar with naked lunch either the film or the book that it's based on Um, I guess the best way to describe it would be to compare it to, um, I guess in the late seventies, Naked Lunch was to junkies. What Alice in Wonderland and The Hobbit were to acid heads in the sixties. In other words, it was a completely accurate guide to what you could expect if you got addicted to heroin. In the days before AIDS, many people wanted for reasons of their own to go through hell and live to tell about it. Will maybe live to tell about it. And Burroughs' writings were useful in the sense that reading them kept you from being too deluded about what you were doing. And he took this really unconventional <laughs> style um, and to his prose where the structure, it folds in on itself and it in no way follows a traditional linear narrative. And it's something that it feels almost like anarchy. It feels devoid of traditional structure. And the idea of adapting this film, adapting this particular book into a film, I I think only David Cronenberg could have done this because he has that right um, cynical, almost punk rock attitude towards science and humanitarianism. There's not a lot of hope in his work. It's deeply cynical, I think, most of Cronenberg's films. And Burroughs' writings had a similar feel to them. And so this is one of my favorite adaptations of a book that I had assumed prior to seeing this would be, and I assume a lot of people assume this, that this book, you could not adapt it. And he still pulled it off. And I'm not sure this is one of those films that's remembered as fondly as it should be. I think I think this is definitely one of those ones that people that haven't checked it out should revisit it. But then again, this is something that I really love and it's taken me, what, 10 years to get around, eight years to get around to picking up this edition of it. And I buy movies almost every week. So I get it in that sense too because this is a lot to take in and probably one that people wouldn't want to revisit all the time. But I do have this thing where Having this on the shelf for when the moment that it strikes me, this is something, this is the film that I want to watch. When that moment strikes me, there's not going to be another film that'll fill this particular desire, this taste, this itch that needs to be scratched by this one. This is really the only one. It's a a one-of-a-kind film. And if you haven't checked it out, uh, if you haven't had a chance to see this film or read the book, please do yourself a favor and either do both. Read the book first, check out the movie. You'll... You'll really enjoy either one of these, I think. Uh, Remember, Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. Well, and it it jumps around um, from, if you think, if you put side by side the scene with the little girl um, towards the end, next to, which the film sort of does, because it's so short, um, the scene where he's listening in on the psychic reading. And those two styles are coexisting in this film to to get across this one idea, it feels like they're made by different filmmakers. Yeah. And so he's willing to adopt all these different styles in this very short piece. And it's it's just amazing how well this thing holds up. And it's almost it's definitely the lens being pointed back at the audience. And it's an indictment of all of us in the way that we treat the elderly in our society. And in fact, it's only worsened since the time that he made this and when he was initially mm-hmm. bouncing around these ideas that. Were, which is so crazy. This isn't his execution was original, but the, orig- the the theme was something that was yeah. put to him,
1: and he and did it's, this. With it's it. It. it's not like there's been a bunch of movies in the past decades that have picked up the rallying cry either. <laughs> like it's it's still pretty singular. Like no one, yeah. it's still not a topic anyone really wants to talk about. So it it's you know remains pretty relevant.
0: Well it's never been handled in this way. I mean, I can think of like a handful of movies that deal with it in maybe the eighties that were done in a cutesy kind of in Mm -hmm. the twilight zone thing that just pops in my head, the kick the can or cocoon or something like that. Those are the only movies that come to mind.
1: You think about movies that are generally about elderly people and they tend to be really like saccharine, you know, like rarely are they, do they feel like they've got a real hard edge to them? You never see that, you know. You think about something like Cocoon or something. Uh, it doesn't mean it's a bad movie, but it's uh, there's something sort of cuddly about it. And this is—I don't—I don't know that I've ever seen a movie about old people that's this savage. I mean, it's br- a brutal movie.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And it's um it's satirical, but the satire isn't landing on a joke. It's landing on a point. No. Where it's going that broad and it's only, you know, something like the bumper car scene that's, um it's clearly elevated to be absurd, but then the dialogue could have been placed on a street and it would have been the exact interaction and things that we've seen and possibly things that we've looked at and dismissed uh, people because of age and it's just it's something that. I, I can't believe that it hasn't been taken on in that way. Cause the one inevitability is death or aging. It's one of the two, it's going to happen mm-hmm. eventually. So, and if you're fortunate enough to age, this is how we could be treated. And do you think this is maybe something that we don't talk about as a society because of how we do treat our elderly and it's something we don't want to face?
1: Yeah. I think it's shame. Yeah. And then yeah. we're, I mean, we're all guilty of it. Like the, if you've you know, been, I'm sure there are nice ones, but if you've been inside, not so nice nursing homes and hospice care places. Uh, there's a lot to be ashamed about as a human being when it comes to uh, how we treat our oldest people, our oldest uh, citizens. It's, it's not nice to look at. Um, we, I think there are probably societies where you kind of come of age with multiple generation, uh, generations around you. And that's less frequently the case in um, America. And I don't know that that's always good or always bad. It just sort of is the, the current situation. Um, so, it, yeah, I don't think it's it's not, it's something people don't want to dwell upon. They don't even like really to dwell upon old age, you know, itself. Um, to even look at um, people who are really old uh, whenever they're even mentioned, like at someone's, you know, 95th birthday or something it's 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 handled in the way as if it's someone's fifth birthday it's handled in this very childish isn't she sweet type of way um so it's there's something icky about the whole thing and this is what i mean i don't know if there is another movie movie singularly goes after goes after that like it goes after the the way that we've ripped people of their kind of basic humanity and uh, this, this, the main character in this movie just gets like, like, just gets like stripped of his humanity, like piece by piece until he's just like literally beaten and bloody by the end of it.
0: Well, the, I mean, there's a couple of moments without, I mean, I don't, I I think you could talk about this in detail without really giving anything without. Yeah. I don't know
1: that. I don't know that it's, there's enough plot that you can really spoil it. Yeah,
0: it doesn't it seem like that. So I'm gonna go ahead and feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, it's
1: it's but, more it's more the emotional effect of it. This exactly. Is, there's exactly. not really anything to spoil. You have to just see how it plays out. Because there's a, a
0: scene where he gets a band-aid put on a, and it's put on his head, and it's the aftermath of this violence. Um and the way that he's treated in that moment. And it's that speaks to so many issues that we have in healthcare, the way we treat elderly, the way that we treat um, even the way we treat women when they complain of pain, the way we treat uh, minorities, when they, it's all these different things that people that are not, um, their voices are not heard. And it's so it speaks to these much larger issues that I think that just was one simple little moment that it, on its surface could seem so absurd, but mm-hmm. it really just hits home so hard. And I was just really shocked by how powerful this thing is. Is there a particular moment in the film to you that really was effective that you just said, God damn, that's, that's something I people need to see.
1: I mean, definitely the assembly line healthcare does does stick out to me. Um, you know, I, I think about that scene where um, there's one place in the amusement park, and they've got signs up that say "elderly preferred," and. Um, and you go inside as an old person, and it's people just sort of manipulating your limbs, you know. To, I guess to keep the ideas, you know, it's sort of physical therapy, I guess. Yeah. But um, it's a creepy scene because you just have all these old people and they're they're being operated like marionette puppets, you know. Um, it's, it's 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 such an interesting film, you know. It, it basically takes a single metaphor and then just plays it all the way. Um, in a weird kind of way, it reminds me of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, in the sense that, I and mean, it's the weirdest comparison ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm willing to go on this ride, I'm but sure. you know, where, where it has like, all right, we're gonna we have this concept and we're gonna ride it to the hilt, like we're just gonna <laughs> go all the way with it. And he's like, all right, so the amusement park is gonna be a like treatise on all on all the way we mistreat old people, and they they come up with you know, every single ride they've come up with some angle, like what, what the carousel could mean and what the bumper cars could mean. Um, it's, 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 a, you know, it's impressive. Um, and it's so deliriously sickening in some ways. I, I think it's just a powerful piece.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's, it's not one that I would imagine I would revisit in the same, there's not the kind of joy that I would get from no. watching it a lot. But it is something that I, and not, and not that it's not an entertaining film. It is. It's absolutely, it's not, it's just, it's uncomfortable because yep. of uh, what it's dealing with. And so it's I could, just,
1: it's just sort of aesthetically uncomfortable. It, it's so, like the sound is pumped up so loud and there's so many competing noises going on and it's bright, like the whole thing's in the bright sunlight mostly. Uh, it's just overwhelming like it's sonically and visually overwhelming. Um, It just, it's kind of a, it feels like an assault.
0: Well, it's, it's the, the point of view that we're taking on in the film. And it's that disorder, every moment is designed to disorient um, you with this character. So you're going on this journey with him where you're becoming more and more disconnected and feeling it's just slowly building and building and building to that moment at the very end where you feel like there's a, there's a little bit of relief here. Okay. After mm-hmm. everything you've been through, there's going to be this quiet moment at the end and then we're going to have a little bit of peace. And there's this one person who saw the kindness and there was just this beautiful little moment and then it's immediately pulled out from under and the work that I, I'm not familiar with this lead actor here, but I mean, damn, he was great in this thing. I mean, I, I've yeah. no idea who he is, but he does such a great job and it's something that this is one of those performances. I'm glad that people get to recognize now. And unfortunately it'll be a, posthumous recognition but
1: well i mean he's he he plays the um uncle in martin oh my god so um he's he's got a big role in martin so so why did uh, i not
0: put that together
1: yeah yeah so he he did have two great roles in his life that were caught in film anyway
0: okay and that and martin is one of those ones that i i have not seen in far too long it's kind of like a uh Monkey shines. I saw it at a certain mm-hmm. point in my life where I think that I just need to go back and revisit these. And similar to <laughs> a, a day of the dead or dawn of the dead at this point, we're finding mm-hmm. it um, becomes a little bit more difficult. I'm not sure if Martin has been re-released, but I know that um, I just spent way too much money for the dawn Blu-ray.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that I think it's the same company put that out. as putting out Martin. Okay. Um, so it's technically um, a UK, coming out in the UK. Yep. Yeah. Um I I, st- I think that it still will not be available in the US anytime soon. It's and it's been out of US circulation for a couple decades.
0: That's why I was thinking it was a VHS possibly was the last time I saw that. So
1: it, it had a DVD release in the nineties, I think. Okay. Um and that's the copy I have, but it is it's impossible to get in the US. I mean you can get a buy it in the secondary market, but it's very expensive.
0: Yeah, it's um, and that that's the thing. It's uh, if it, I guess I can justify it when it's um certain things, but I there's plenty of crap on my shelf that I could probably get rid of and justify having that sitting there. So I should definitely remedy. Well, that. like I
1: said, a new version is is about to come out. Um, there you go. So so get that version. <laughs> and I did have
0: uh, one last kind of like specific question about. Um, well, Actually, I had a ton of questions about it, but with Living Dead, the way that it in the novel the the little moments that start pulling you in to the greater the bigger story that existed in the film in the film history when i think in john doe when the zombie starts to sit up for the first time and it was that day of the dead moment when the guts mm-hmm. fall out on the floor and it but you take this thing where i'm not sure if this was your work or if this was george's at the time where it just dwells on that moment for a good five or six pages. And that's what I always loved about um, Romero's work was how long he would dwell in these moments. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that's beautifully captured throughout the entire uh, book is how long you'll dwell in these little moments.
1: Well, I mean, I took it, I took my cue from obviously Romero wherever I could. Um, and some of it was in the pages themselves. And some the, the parts that weren't, I was brought up in his shadow. So I sort of knew which way he would go. Usually instinctively, Uh And he wasn't super interested in horror, first of all, which is a thing some people don't like to hear, but it's true. He wasn't super interested in the genre, uh, at least once he got a little older. Um, And he wasn't super interested in action, um, action set pieces as much. He sort of knew these things were important uh, for a commercial film. Um, But, you know, reading just the manuscript they left behind when it came to, if you, comparing a scene that he wrote of zombie mayhem versus some character backstory. It's the character backstory stuff where he came alive. Like that's clearly what he want to do writing. Um, so, and that's, you know, and I, again, was sort of brought up um, it, in his shadows to so doing the same things and writing the same way. Like I, I too am not um, overly interested in in um, spectacular action set pieces of, of bloody blood and guides. It's not, it just doesn't interest me. Um, what interests me is just what you're saying. When the body turns over and you have to sort of contemplate what that, what that means both for yourself and the world. And um, so, yeah, the, the book is full of those kind of moments and um, prioritizes those moments, I think.
0: And I, and I think it does that beautifully and there was something that in reading the note at the end I was glad that I was um, on with I did setting the <laughs> utopia setting Eden the possibility of the rebirth of our society in Toronto because that seems mm-hmm. like that's where George found a rebirth when he had those last couple films there were such vibrance and because he had had the shit kicked out of him for so long by yeah. the Hollywood system and it felt like he in those last couple of years was really turning a corner creatively and just yeah, throwing things out.
1: Th- that's exactly right. I mean, I think I sort of make my apologies in the author's note for not setting the utopia in Pittsburgh, <laughs> but I think, I think Pittsburgh has kind of had its day in, um, in Romero's work and he had found a sort of Eden, I think in Toronto. Um, and also I thought it was important to the story to, for the characters to move outside of the U.S., uh, I wanted them to to kind of cross a border, and um, and be a start over in the city that obviously meant a lot of George, but also represented um, a, a different kind of society in a way. Like Toronto's uh, extremely multicultural, um, and you know, we, we locate the action specifically on a, a certain st- street in Toronto. I mean, it, we, it, no expense was spared um, intellectually anyway, uh, figuring out where to put these scenes and, and why we did it. And not all of it's written out so clearly, but it's, it's all in there.
0: Well, and I think that the, in, when you're describing that, it's that, ter- that it does represent kind of the, the, what the world would become, because it's, I, I believe it was something we you were saying that, you know, this was the most Toronto is just a all-inclusive city. It's, you know, it's multiracial. It's really accepting of alternative lifestyles. And it's always been that way. And the great equalizer, this plague um didn't care. We were all food. And so it didn't go to Republicans first and go to Democrats first, like you were saying, and just having that change everything. It, of course, it would be a city that was opening to that that would welcome the refugees and welcome, um, what was left. Mm-hmm. And it just made yeah, exactly. perfect sense. But, and I, I'm, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Cause I, I can't believe how well these two go together that it wasn't by design that cause it, yeah. they really do feel like companion pieces. It
1: really me. wasn't. I mean, I assumed I would never get to see it, you know, and the, the book was still going to be written the same way, kind of regardless, but, um, having it was a, a a real gift to me as a collaborator. And I think it's a, now a real gift to just Romero fans in general.
0: Well, it does. Uh, it's almost like it's a, the, it, the Rosetta stone or whatever you want to call it, where it pulls everything together. in that way where <laughs> when you look at the timeline of all the films, like you explained at the end of, in your author's note, the idea of that, and you, know, you see these ideas that he's been playing with the whole time, that, mm-hmm this was something that was in the, that left a mark on him, this idea of aging. And it was something that he had had there. Um, And it was something that he was working towards again, coming back when the reality was there. Cause he made it that as a young man, that film.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so, it's so interesting. I mean, for people listening, the, uh, and the author at the end of the book goes into this, but essentially the, the movies in the order that he released them do not reflect the chronological order in which they, um, should be arranged when you're thinking about the zombie apocalypse. Uh, just I don't remember the exact order. Well, I probably do. But for example, it's Night, diary. night of the Dead, Night Diary. Oh, God. survival. I think because um, that's oh, yeah because days last. So then Days would last. Be, okay, yeah.
0: and then dawn right before that. I believe. Yeah, Does it's in, right. No, it's
1: in, actually, you know what? I have it right here. I can just tell you. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. So, all right. So here it is the the correct order. Now my computer's freezing. Wouldn't okay. you know it? All right. The correct order is night, diary, survival, dawn, land, and day. Land. So yeah. Day okay. is really the the end of his story. Um, and so my task, helped by things he had already written, was to. Use those six points to sort of predict the next six points or whatever, um, and then not limit myself to the zombie film. So you know you're looking at just sort of his worldview, which definitely included the amusement park, um, and the the novel kind of has it creates a space for the films. You know, like if if you want the complete Romero experience, you could read the first act of the book pause watch those six movies in the order that i just said them and then read acts 2 and 3 of the book and then you would have sort of the full scope
0: but that, i think that would uh you could do that but it's almost like when you go back and people take the time to put memento in chronological order or right, something like right. that i think you can lose some of the uh oh yeah totally you you lose the the purpose of finding the voice and what was going on in society at that time. Yes, you could absolutely do that as a, as an experiment, but when you, the cultural significance of the moment in time when his work was made
1: is really important. To understand? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's sort of like, um, not as dramatically of course, but like, if you watch the, if, if the first time you watch the star Wars movies wasn't in order, like, I don't, I don't know that they would have the same effect. <laughs> you know? like, like there's, it's an interesting intellectual exercise. And if you've seen, the remember movies a bunch maybe it'd be fun to, to try them out in this way but um but yeah it it, it has its limits
0: well i've gone th- i mean i can kind of do that mental gymnastics in my mind right now having just gone through all of them again um and that's not yeah i i think that that's that would be more rewarding to me than watching the star wars films and yeah <laughs> right <Order>. T- totally <laughs> Well, thank you again, man. And I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you too. Anytime. All right. Take care, man. See you. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.